Well, it's good to be with you this morning, New Life Church. Uh, for those of you that I didn't get to greet, my name is Jeremy. I'm uh, the senior pastor at Evangelical Community Church on Island, where I've been for a year and a half. And it's, uh, it's such an immense privilege to be here this morning, especially with Gareth and Carrie and their family, and to, uh, to be a part of this uh, installation, commissioning. I'm not sure what the right word is, but uh, we, we want to formally... Uh, put them in place and recognize them and bless them as the new senior pastor of, uh, of New Life Church. So uh, what a privilege. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of this. And I've just been excited to meet this church. Uh, you know, I've been here in Abu Dhabi a year and a half now as the senior pastor at ECC. And uh, I've wanted to see, be here at this church, and I've wanted to visit Grace Church, both of which churches came out of ECC. But, um, but haven't been able to do that because I'm usually busy on Friday mornings too. So uh, that's been problematic. But I have a, a few associates working with me now, and so it's given me flexibility to come. So, you know, this is one of my, uh, you know, to-do list things. I've been really wanting to come here to be with you. So, so thankful I can be here this morning. And uh, this morning I want to look at a passage in the New Testament with you about a commissioning. Uh, a story about an installation, if you want to put it that way, where somebody is put in place. And it's found in John chapter 21. And it's the story of Jesus installing or commissioning Peter. Or you might say he's reinstalling him. Look at John chapter 21. If you have a Bible, please turn there. If you have one on your device, uh, turn there. And let's look at this story together. I'm going to read verses 15 to 23. And then after that, we'll, we'll study it together. So John chapter 21, verses 15 to 23. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and Walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show him by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had also leaned back against him during the supper, and said, Lord... Who is it that is going to, uh, and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread among the disciples that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that? Well, this uh, story, just to put it in place, in case you're unfamiliar with this story, this takes place after Jesus' 
crucifixion, after his death, after his resurrection, but before Jesus went back to heaven to be at the Father's right hand. And if you know the story, uh, Jesus appears to his disciples in Jerusalem, and then he sends them up to Galilee and tells them to go wait for him there. And so now the disciples, they don't know what to do, so, you know, a bunch of of guys don't know what to do. They say, let's go fishing. So uh, they get out in their boat, and they're fishing, and they catch nothing. And then that, the next morning, uh, they, they see this guy on the beach who says, you know, put your nets on the other side. And they throw their nets over, and they haul in this huge, epic catch of fish. And that's when Peter says, that's Jesus. And he dives over the boat and swims to shore. You know, very typical Peter behavior uh, to just kind of jump off a boat and swim somewhere. And, and so it's this great, very happy story where, we see Jesus is alive, and Jesus cooks some breakfast. It's, uh, you know, what's better? Jesus is alive, and, and they're eating breakfast with him on the beach. And it's in that very intimate, personal moment that Jesus has this powerful conversation with Peter. And what I want to point out to you this morning and observe in the, the text are three things that Jesus does to Peter, with Peter, for Peter, three things And I think these three things are helpful as we think about this moment as you are uh, sort of formally embracing and putting in place a new pastor in this church. Obviously, he's been here, and you've met Gareth, and you've called him. But we want to, in a a very formal sense, uh, put him in place this morning, install him. And I think these three things that Jesus does to Peter help us think about what we're doing here this morning. So here's the first one, number one. We observe that Jesus reconciles Peter. Jesus restores Peter. Jesus puts back together what has been a broken relationship. You'll notice in the story that Jesus asks Peter, how many times if you love me? Three times. It's kind of an awkward conversation, right? People have wondered, why does he say it three times? And there's different art reasons given. Some say... Jesus was using different Greek words that Peter didn't get, and so he was trying to define the word love. You know, do you love me? And and, and I don't think that's the explanation, uh, that those words for love are used interchangeably. And besides, Peter knew Greek. He he didn't need a Greek lesson. The reason that, that Peter has to be asked this question three times is what did Peter do to Jesus three times? He denied him three times. Do you remember the story right before the crucifixion, the night before he was crucified? Jesus is in the high court, the, priest, uh, the court of the high priest, and Jesus is being beaten and interrogated and falsely accused. And Peter's right outside in the courtyard. While Jesus is inside suffering, he's outside. And three times people come up to him and say, you're, you're one of those Jesus followers. And three times Peter said, not me. I'm not with him. He essentially, we would say today, he denied Christ. He denied being a Christian. This is huge, right? This isn't just like, yeah, you were at work or you were at school and they were having a conversation about religion and you thought, boy, I should say something. And then you didn't. And then you go home that day and think, boy, I missed an opportunity. Ah, I'll, I'll be braver next time. This isn't Peter missed an opportunity. This is Peter denied Jesus. You're a Christian, right? No. I have nothing to do with this guy. That's, this is devastating. In fact, a, a couple centuries later, 
uh, as the church began to spread out in the Roman Empire, there would occasionally be very severe persecutions from the Roman Empire against Christians. It would come in waves and seasons. And sometimes in those persecutions, some Christians would deny the faith and, and recant and give up the faith. And then the persecution would die down. And then those Christians would feel guilt and they would repent and they would come back to the church. And they would say, forgive us, take us back, take us back. And there was a debate in the church. What do you do with those people? Do you take them back or not? And some say, you don't take them back. They've denied the faith. I mean, could you imagine sitting in this church service today and you had a loved one maybe who was tortured for the faith or who died for their faith. And then someone else who chickened out, was cowardly, wanted back in. And they were unwilling to stand for Christ. And so it was a big debate. And there were some Christians... Uh, some called the Novations and the Donatists, who said, no, they're not getting back in. And so, so you can see this is a really significant issue. And yet here comes Jesus to Peter, and he asks him three times, do you love me? Just you know, driving home this incident, this terrible betrayal, do you love me? What a powerful question. I think that question, do you love me, tells us something very profound about us and our sin. And it also tells us something very profound about Jesus. The fact that he would say, do you love me? I think what it tells us about us and our sin is that it reminds us that sin is very deeply personal. That all sin is a personal rejection of God. That sin isn't just a mistake, whoops, I messed up, oh, darn it, I I had a little error. No, no, sin is a rejection of who God is. You know, sometimes people say, well, you know, if no one gets hurt, is it really that bad? I can do what I want, no one's being hurt. But, you know, God is offended. God is hurt, in a sense, by our sin. All sin is sin against God. You remember the story in the Bible where, in the Old Testament, where David had that terrible affair with Bathsheba and even covered it up and had her husband killed. Uh, and, And then he finally repents of that sin in Psalm 51. And do you remember what David says? He says to God, against you and you only have I sinned. Did he sin against Bathsheba? Of course. Did he sin against Bathsheba's husband? Big time. Did he sin against the whole nation of Israel as their king? Absolutely. And yet... God is so holy, his demands upon us are so great that David could also, in a sense, say, against you and you only have I sinned. God made you. God owns you. He he deserves all of our worship, all of our love, all of our obedience, all of our everything. And so when we, we disobey him, it is a profound sin against God. And so I think this question, do you love me, reminds us that all of our sin is profoundly personal. But the question, do you love me, I think also tells us something amazing about Jesus. And it just tells us of his amazing, amazing grace. That he would come to someone like Peter who had so profoundly betrayed him and he would forgive him and and reconcile him Do you love me, Peter? If I was Jesus, that's not the question I'd be saying. I'd be like, how dare you? 
I was faithful to you for three years, and you couldn't even stand up for me. And I'll tell you, Peter, we'll, we'll take you back, but I'm going to let you, let, let you know this is the last time. If you mess up again, that's it, right? That's how I would be talking to Peter if I was talking to him at all. But instead, Jesus comes and he, he just opens his arms of love to him and says, do you love me? You know, I love you. Do you love me? That's the implication. How could Jesus do this? How, how could he be so kind to such a, a, a rotten, backstabbing person like Peter? And the reason is because while Peter that night was outside denying Jesus, Jesus was inside suffering for Peter's sins. He was inside at that very moment suffering for the very sins Peter was committing. That while Peter was outside saving his own skin, Jesus was inside surrendering his body to be slapped and beaten and spat upon and eventually tortured and crucified. While Peter was outside sinning against Jesus, Jesus was inside suffering to save Peter from those sins. And so because Jesus is the Savior, because he died and rose again, he can come to people like Peter and just offer grace and mercy. There's more grace in Jesus than there is sin in you. And that's our hope, is this great Savior. In fact, I know we're here at an installation service this morning, but really, can I just put that on pause for a second and just say, if you're here this morning, and and maybe you're new to Christianity or you've been brought to the church or you're just checking it out, I want you to know this is the heart of the Christian message that we can be reconciled to God through faith in this Savior. And that there's nobody here, no matter how what, what your past is or what you've done or where you've been, that Jesus can't forgive you. But you've got to put your faith in Him. You've got to give up trying to make yourself better. You've got to give up your own you know, man-made spirituality and religion. You need to cling to Jesus who alone died and rose again to save sinners. So, Gareth, as you look at this text and as you think about becoming the pastor of this church, we would ask you too, do you love him? Do you love him? Because really, that's the basis of, of any of us being in the church. Gareth loves Christ because Jesus has died for Gareth. And so just be encouraged, brother, no matter what happens in this church or where the ministry goes or whether you have a good year or a bad year, that your acceptance is based upon Christ's reconciliation of you through the cross. That there's nothing you can do as a pastor to make Jesus love you more. He accepts us because of who he is, not because of our efforts. And I would encourage you, New Life Church, to love Gareth because he is a fellow sinner saved by grace. You know, churches sometimes when they get new pastors, they put some crazy expectations on their pastors. You know, they, they, they get the new pastor in and they're like, oh, now it's all going to be better, whatever it is. And they almost have these messianic-sized expectations of their pastor when they come. He's the, he's the new anointed one. You guys ever heard of people calling the pastor the anointed one, the Lord's anointed which is so wrong. <laughs> There's only one Lord's anointed in, in the New Testament. Do you know what his name is? Jesus. <laughs> right? His name's Jesus Christ. Do you know what Christ means in Greek? Anointed. 
There's only one Lord's anointed. It's not the pastor. It's Jesus. You know, you, when, you, when you called Gareth, you did not call Jesus. You called Peter. You called Peter to be your pastor, which is good news for you because you all are Peter. And so am I. We are all sinners saved by the grace of Jesus. And so as you, as you relate to Gareth as your new pastor, I just encourage you that the foundation of this whole church, and I know it has been, but it's, it's built upon grace. Let there always be an atmosphere of grace in this church because Christ has accepted Gareth and his family, and Christ has accepted you if your faith is in Jesus. And that's the basis of how we relate to each other as Christians. Everything's built on that and is shaped profoundly by that. So, that's number one. Jesus restores or reconciles Peter. Let me show you the second one. The second one is that Jesus reinstates Peter. So, he reconciles him from his sin, and then he reinstates him to a task. He he, uh, installs him. He commissions him to a task. Again, look at the text, and you'll notice three times Jesus says, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? Three times Peter says, yes, yes, you know I love you, you know I love you. And then three times after Peter says, yes, I love you, what does Jesus say? Verse 15, feed my lambs. Verse 16, tend my sheep. And verse 17, feed my sheep. Which is really big, because if you're familiar with the Gospel of John, you know that the shepherd sheep imagery is really powerful in John. John chapter 10 Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So in the Old Testament, the Lord is our shepherd. In the New Testament, Jesus says, I'm the shepherd, which is really him laying claim to be God. It's one of the many ways he says, I'm God. He's the good shepherd of God's people. And he lays down his life for the sheep. But now think about this. Jesus is going back to heaven. He knows he's about to leave. So who's going to physically be present on earth to take care of the followers of Jesus. Who's going to be their shepherds? Well, it's going to be these 12 apostles. They're the the shepherds that Jesus hands off the ministry to, right? Which is really, really amazing. So basically, Jesus is not just forgiving Peter. Okay, that's a big one. But now he's making Peter a shepherd again of the people. What an amazing grace that Peter would be put in that that position again after his profound failure. Now let's take it a step further. Those 12 apostles aren't with us anymore. They can't be the shepherds here on earth. So now, who are the shepherds of God's people? And the answer from the New Testament is pastors and elders. And in fact, there's a direct handoff. Uh, if you, I don't know if you have Bibles, if you can look to 1 Peter 5. I don't know if we can put it up on the screen here or not. Or if we're having some technical... Oh, there it is. Okay, I'll just, you can just read it from there. Uh, It says in 1 Peter 5, I exhort the elders, this is Peter writing to the elders of a church, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. So Peter's not even claiming his apostleship here. He's like, I'm just a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So, So do you guys see the chain? Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus then hands the shepherding ministry over to the apostles. And the apostles, before they die, distribute the shepherding ministry 
to pastors and elders who are raised up in churches. So in a very literal, real sense, the command of Jesus to Peter is now handed to your pastors. And so they are now taking up the command to shepherd the flock. In fact, I even think maybe when Peter says these words, he's echoing John 21 and the command that Jesus gave him. And now he's just handing it on to the pastors and elders. And so God has given you shepherds. That's the commission. Maybe we should stop for a minute and talk about what a, what a shepherd's job is in the church. What's a pastor's job? Just like people have unrealistic expectations of pastors, sometimes they have confusion over what a pastor's job is. So can I just tell you really fast four things that pastors are to do in shepherding the church? Number one, it's right from this text, pastors feed the flock. That's the first thing a shepherd does. He feeds the sheep. And, and how does a pastor do that in the church? What does a pastor feed you? Right? The Word of God, the Bible. So a pastor's number one job, number one calling is to be a teacher of God's Word. And uh, I would just encourage you, I, I know Gareth is committed to this, but just keep encouraging Gareth, keep preaching the Word as you stand up here. And uh, let, let the Word of God be what feeds the flock. This is the number one thing you, you should need from your pastors is that they be men who faithfully teach from the Scriptures because it's God's Word that feeds our souls. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We need faithful Bible-teaching pastors and elders. And praise God, you guys have that in this church. Not all churches do. Praise God for that. Second thing that good pastors and teachers and shepherds do is they guard the flock. So number one, feed the flock. Number two, guard the flock from wolves which in the New Testament are false teachers who come in. And so pastors are kind of just always looking around and listening to, you know, what's being taught. And there's a lot of people teaching in the world today who claim to be Christians. And a lot of what they're feeding is really rotten food. And so you need faithful pastors to guard against that and to guard the church. Number three, pastors lead the church. That's what shepherds do. They lead the sheep. They lead first and foremost by example. But then they also direct and, and lead the church to where it should go. And so I would encourage you to, to give Gareth and, and the elders of this church room to lead as God leads them and as they seek to follow God's word. And so they feed the flock, they guard the flock, they lead the flock. And lastly, I think good shepherds love the flock. That's what's so powerful about that shepherding imagery, isn't it? This is not some manager in some office who's just handing down policies. This is someone who's among the people, knows the people, loves the people. So there's an intimate relationship between shepherd and sheep. So this is the picture that that God has. And so again, I would just encourage you, Gareth, uh, from this passage, charge you what Jesus said to to shepherd this flock and to feed them well. You, You were in another flock where the Lord had you, and then the Lord's moved you from that flock. And like Peter, he's reinstalled you to a new flock. And, and so, man, just love these people. I know you will. But feed them well. Take care of them well. Shepherd them well. And I would say to you as a church, just receive Gareth with an open heart. Gareth loved these people, and people love Gareth and his family. Just open your hearts to each other. Don't hold anything back. Don't, don't have that nervousness about, oh, I don't know about this guy. You know, we'll, we'll see. Let him prove himself. Just open your hearts. Commit yourselves to each other, you know? Are you going to fail each other and disappoint each other? Of course. 
y'all are a bunch of Peters, right? <laughs> Go back to point one. But it's grace. And so, so, so that, that's how churches work well, is when pastors just love the people, and the people love their pastors, and they trust each other, and they submit to each other, and they all submit to God's word together. So open your hearts to each other. God will bless you. God will lead you in all of these things. So, Jesus reconciles Peter. Number two, Jesus reinstates Peter. And this last one's really powerful. Number three, he readies Peter. He makes him ready. He, uh, he prepares Peter for what's ahead. Yes, he's been restored, but now there's a, a journey ahead, and Jesus gets him ready for it. And it's kind of shocking, kind of shocking. Look at verse 18. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. When you were young, you did whatever you wanted, basically. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. It's a remarkable saying because basically what Jesus tells him is, Peter, I'm going to tell you how you're going to die. You're going to die by stretching out your hands, which they would have understood as a figure of speech referring to crucifixion. I don't know, this is kind of morbid, but do you ever think about, like, how am I going to die someday? I don't think about that a lot, but sometimes I do. And, you know, your mind sort of wanders. And you go, I wonder how long I'll live. Wonder, will I get cancer? Will I have an accident? I mean, I'm going to die someday. And then I'm like, why am I thinking about this? And, you know, let's go eat, right? So uh, Peter didn't have to wonder. Jesus told him, you're going to be crucified. Could you imagine living your life? under the shadow of the cross in a very real and literal sense. I mean, that, that's, that, that's powerful. And we know from church history, at least, that church history tells us that is how Peter died. And according to church tradition, under the emperor Nero, he was crucified. He didn't, the story goes that he didn't consider himself worthy to be crucified like Jesus, so they asked him to be crucified upside down. And so that's the story, is that he died by crucifixion upside down. But... Um, wow, that's amazing. Well, Peter heard this, and he didn't really like it. <laughs> so he, verses 20 to 23, he, he says to Jesus, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> what? I, you know, what about that guy? What, what's going to happen to him? You know, why, this isn't fair. I, I have to be crucified? Well, what about him? Is he going to get crucified? I assume we're all getting crucified here because it's not really fair. You know, you can just see him objecting. And Jesus says, what if he gets to stay alive till I come back? What's that to you? That's none of your business. You follow me. This is what you signed up for. Because when we accept Jesus as our Savior, we also get him as our Lord. Jesus is Savior and Lord. You don't get to pick and choose which of those you like best. You know, when you lay hold of the cross for salvation, the cross lays hold of you and claims your life. Jesus said, if anyone would have come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So he owns our lives, and we're called twice in this passage. He says to Peter, follow me. You're going to follow in the cross pattern as we go forward. Get ready for that. Be prepared for that. You know, 
I talked about guarding against false teachers. You know, beware of those false teachers who tell you that following Jesus means that your life is going to be blessed if you just have enough faith. Right? 2018 is going to be your breakthrough. We always say that every year, right? The Bible never promises that 2018 or any year is going to be your breakthrough. Jesus promises us, though, that if we will follow him, he'll never leave us or forsake us. We are promised a great blessing, but ultimately it's in eternal life and not in this world. 2018 may be a great year for you. It could be your worst year ever. It's in God's hands. But whether it's good or whether it's bad, follow me. And sometimes following Jesus takes us strange places. You know, his, his leading and guiding isn't always what we would think or expect. I, I mean, last year, I think a lot of us were um, shaken and, and saddened to see the, the death of Nabil Qureshi, uh, the, the uh, evangelist and apologist who worked with Ravi Zacharias, Pakistani brother, powerful life and ministry. I think he was 33 when he died from cancer. And you know, I'm just, you scratch your head and be like, Lord, why him? Why now? Why this age? This guy was really used by you. But Jesus says, follow me. And so we ask, you know, why me, Lord? Why, you know, why, why is my marriage like this? And that couple over there seems so happy. Why, why do I have these challenges and they don't? Or, or why am I single? And I wish I could find somebody, but I can't. Why me, Lord? Why, why haven't you led me to that path yet where I found the right person? Or maybe you say, Lord, why, why do I have these feelings in me where I, I feel attracted to people of the same sex? And I know the Bible says that that is not right, and I know I'm not supposed to act on those desires. But Lord, I have these feelings. Lord, why do I have these? Why won't you take them away? Lord, wh- you know, why is... Why is my kid such a mess? Why, why, why does my kid have this learning disability? Or why does my kid have autism? Or Lord, why do I have bipolar disorder? Why do I have these, these mental illnesses that other people don't have? Why do I fall into depression and other people always seem happy? Why is my brain chemistry like this? Why did my parents give me up for adoption? Why uh, did, did my family member have to die so young? Why does his life seem charmed and mine seems like a struggle? Why, Lord? You know, we have all these questions about our lives. And your loving Lord, your loving Lord, who loves you, extends nail-pierced hands towards you. And he says, follow me. Follow me. So, Gareth, Carrie, your whole family, I don't know what, holds, what the future holds for you. I don't know what the future holds for New Life Church. I don't know what it holds for my life or ECC. Uh, you know, I don't know if you're going to have a good year, a bad year, if it's going to be a hard ministry here, a fruitful ministry here. I mean, who knows, right? We, we just don't know. We take steps of faith. But these are the things we know. Jesus has reconciled you. Jesus has installed you here. And Jesus has gotten you ready and gotten us all ready by telling us to take up our crosses. So, brother, I charge you to love Jesus, to shepherd this flock. And no matter what happens, follow him.
follow him. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you so much that you love us, that, Lord, this, this word not only applies to Peter and to Gareth, but to all of us. Thank you, Lord, that you love us so much, that you've reconciled us. And, God, we do want to walk closely with you. Lord, I even pray right now that if there's any brothers and sisters here who are caught in sin or who have strayed away like Peter, that even now they would hear your words of reconciliation. Do you love me? We pray that you would cause your Holy Spirit to let the answer spring up in their hearts like a flame. Yes, I love you. And that, God, you would reconcile us and bring us back from our sins so that we would walk in fellowship with you, Jesus. And, God, we do pray that uh, you would bless Gareth and uh, Carrie and their whole family now, Lord, as, as they move into the shepherding role. And, God, we want to thank you for Kevin and Teresa and how they have faithfully shepherded this flock in the, in the interim, Lord. Thank you, God, for their powerful ministry here and how you've used them. And Lord, we realize you, you raise up the shepherds in your time and in your way. And God, we pray that no matter what happens for new life, that they would keep their eyes fixed on Jesus, that their eyes would not be on their circumstances, upon the trials or the blessings, that the highs wouldn't be too high and the lows wouldn't be too low in their hearts because their satisfaction would be in Christ as a church. And Lord, would you continue to use this church, we pray. We give it all into your hands. Jesus, we commit to follow you by your grace. In Jesus' name.